Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good evening. I'm all put together. At least I hope so. Put this on hold. Um, Tonight, well, I want to welcome all of the newcomers who are here this evening. I am not usually this disorganized, but some days are just like that. Have you noticed that? I have no idea what that is. So um, we're going to start around 640 uh, to give everybody a chance to get in here. And if everyone gets in here a little bit earlier, we'll start earlier as long as I don't forget my computer. So that's going to be really great. I know, almost. So I'm pretty happy about that. Um, last week, we talked about um, living the accompanying life. And I want to give you a little bit of time to talk about that with people at your table. So what I want to do is I'll give you about five minutes or so to talk about that. For those of you that were gone last week, uh, the accompanied life is about how um, God indwells us. And as a result of his presence, um, his person of the Holy Spirit, um, we are never alone. We get the help that we need. Uh, We get the advocacy that we need, and that one of the goals that we talked about last week was to begin thinking about what would our lives be like if we were really aware of this and learned how to interact with God, who is always present with us. Um, Last week I gave out um, some prayers, uh, some scripture and prayers. If you did some of that, this would be a time to just kind of reflect on any of those that were meaningful to you. If you did not do it, no harm, no foul. If you would talk a little bit about spiritually um, how you um, are moving forward this week. So if you stalled, if you started out really well and it was like, oh my goodness, everything exploded on me, you are welcome to say that. Um, You are among friends. If you are just joining us, you could say, I don't really know what we're doing, uh, which is perfectly fine, and you'll get the hang of it as we get going, and you can get a pass, which is really great. Um, So if you're not really sure what you want to say, you're welcome to give a pass and get an extrovert talking at your table, and eventually the extrovert will say something meaningful. Um, So I'm just saying that's just kind of what you might want to do. If you're a bunch of introverts, you can just stare at each other until it's so uncomfortable somebody wants to say something. Um, So we're going to spend the beginning of our time just touching base with where we are spiritually this week. Uh, So if you want to say something like, hey, I'd really like for you all to be praying for me because I have just gone through a more difficult week of just feeling exhausted and I have a lot on my plate, that's all you have to say. You don't even have to do that if you don't want to. Um, You are among friends while you are here, so you are welcome to talk about the accompanied life and what does that actually mean to stop and keep inviting. God's work in your life. Uh, If you did some of the um, scripture reading and prayers, you're welcome to talk about that. If you have your own devotional life that you have continued on, I'd like for you to talk about how that's been meaningful for you. And if you're not really sure, then you're welcome to say, not really sure exactly what I would like to say. What I would like out of the class is for you to come ready to share something each week. So something that you don't mind other people knowing. This is not about your deep, dark secrets. Okay, this is not a support group. You may talk to me privately about that. And if uh, there's some reason to share that with everybody else, I will get your permission. Uh, but that's not really what we are doing here. So I don't want you to think, oh, he's fishing and I need to say something profound. No, say something normal. <laughs> say something normal. Because our faith, and, and the, the title of this is Faith is for Everyone. This is for a regular living. We walk with the Lord every Every day in regular circumstances. And what we want to do is be aware of how he impacts us and gives us what we need. And so we're going to be unpacking that throughout this um, semester. And I just want to give you all a chance to just kind of reflect on that. You could even say, hey, I didn't really practice this, but I liked what I heard last week. Or I like this idea and I'm trying to figure it out. Uh, We had talked about how you will know something and you will know the truth before you'll always be able to figure out how it works for you. And if you're there, you could say, I really like what we're talking about. I'm just not exactly sure how it's going to fit together just yet. Uh, You're welcome to say whatever you would like to say in your groups along that line. So um, I'm just going to kind of walk around. When I show up, you can keep talking. Um, I'm not really eavesdropping. I just want to make sure that you're on topic. And if you get way off too far on something else, I'll just lean over and say, okay, somebody take it away with this. So we'll talk about five minutes. um, And then we're going to just dive into, into tonight. 
I'm super excited about tonight's topic. Uh, it's about the designed life. We talked about the accompanied life, and now God has actually created for us a design that He wants for us to follow. And I want to open up some of that to you in some familiar passages, and then maybe in some unfamiliar ways. To really encourage you that God really has a focus point in you about the design that he has for you to live a life that is close to him. And he has some parameters and he has some ways that he wants to communicate that. And we're going to begin unpacking that on a bigger level. So let me open up with a word of prayer. I'm going to turn this off so that um, you, what your private conversations are will not go online. Um, and I'll give you about five minutes to just kind of share. Uh, I'll give you like a, a one minute warning. So if somebody really has to jump in there, that will be your time to jump in if you have just held back. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this group. We are brothers and sisters. We are one big family. It's just great to get together and study and laugh and talk about where we are to learn from each other. So, Lord, we pray that we will be disciples of you in this class that not only learn from your word, but get to learn from each other as well. So as we go into this time of just reflection and a little bit of self-revelation, help for this to be a meaningful time that we look forward to, to just kind of talk about, hey, this is what's going on in my life. Here's how I'm learning and growing. Maybe here's something that y'all can pray about for me. Uh, But to be a really positive component of what we are trying to do, to link our arms together as one family, as a smaller group within a larger body that gets to know each other, that we can have fellowship and we can have fullness and we can have truth and we can have grace here in this hour and a half or so that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you would like to um, follow along in your Bibles, I've put a couple of verses up here. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, um, and Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And these are image-bearing verses. I did not include them in the PowerPoint for you. They um, are probably fairly familiar. Um, And what I want to do is lay out for you that God has a design. And as a designer, he has a certain intention for us. And I want to encourage you um, in that design, in what God is um, leading and guiding us to do and to be. And what I want to do is give you a starting point for that that has been really significant for me as I ask myself, who should I be? And why should I be that person? Um, The world wants to mold us into its own image. So whoever's yelling the loudest, whoever has the strongest position, uh, other people will tend to conform to that. And what God has said is, I, God, have purposefully made you a certain way. And because I have made you that way, I want you to embrace that design. And so one of the factors that we're talking about in this section about knowing is beginning to really appreciate and know that design. And I want to introduce it by the idea that you and I are image bearers. That is that God has designed us to be like him. And as such, there are certain actions, there are certain thoughts that actually reflect him. And because of free will, the opportunity for us to do our own thing, there are certain thoughts and certain actions that actually don't reflect him. So, notice what Genesis chapter 1 says, uh, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his image, his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. A couple of things about this passage. I appreciate the way that the New International Version has this beginning point, let us make God. Uh, Let us make man in our image. And what I put up there is in Hebrew, the H-E period means Hebrew, is that this is most likely the plural of majesty. 
Uh, in the Old Testament, um, when the Elohim, or the idea of God in the plural, is used, um, the Hebrews understood that God was one, and so it's probably not being used to indicate the Trinity per se. Although we look back on that, and we understand the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. If we read this in the context at the time period, this was probably done for majesty. Uh, they didn't have superlatives, the same way that we have superlatives like very, 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 very amazing. Uh, so what they had was plural. And then when that was applied to God, that usually had to do with uh, greatness and amazingness. Now we look back on that and we can read the Trinity into some of that if we want to. So I just come a little bit of a Bible geek. And if you read that, it almost sounds like we have like a, a pantheon of gods. And this is Hebrew of majesty, most likely. Um, and so let us make a man in our image. God is saying, I am majestic. I am amazing. And what I want to do is make men and women after me. So here's what I want you to know just starting out with. God is both male and female. We often refer to him in male terms, which is perfectly fine as long as we understand that he is not male. He is a combination of male and female as far as we can tell. So he bears both very masculine traits and very feminine traits and moves along uh, between those traits as you read through the scripture. In fact, the masculine name for God, Elohim, um, is the one that denotes majesty and power and strength. And you might have heard of that. But the covenant name for God, Yahweh, is actually a feminine name. It's a girl name. Isn't that interesting? And it brings out all of the mercy and the justice and the caring and the going the extra mile. And that is his preferred name. Isn't that interesting? The girl name is his preferred name. Now, I don't want to read too much into this, but I do appreciate the Hebrew mystics who look at this and say, God is telling us something. But he doesn't tell us what he's telling us. <laughs> but he's telling us something. And so I want to tentatively speak for him, just briefly, and just simply say this. God is so amazing that he took himself and embodied strengths and accents into men and women who then move back and forth between masculine and feminine traits. There are some women who are very masculine in their traits, and there are some men who are more feminine in their traits. I don't mean that poorly at all. And there are times that I've had to access love and mercy and kindness, which is not really a part of my personality as much. I don't do that quite so well, but as a counselor, empathy and love and care are really, really important. Here's what I want you to think about. Totally side note, in the design of God, you're supposed to be who you need to be in the image of God in that situation. So gentlemen, if you need to be kinder and listen and be more gentle, then that's what you need to do. And ladies, if you need to buck up and tell those children they need to obey and stop worrying about whether they like you, you need to do that. You need to lean into this um, continuum of masculine and feminine so that you can really be what people need because God is both of those. But we have our own accents. Side note. He, he knows what he's doing with that. The second one is in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. If you want to open, open up to that. Romans 8, 29 is probably the premier spiritual formation, spiritual growth verse in all of the scripture. And in this verse, Paul writes to us that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That God in his mind said, I want you, men and women, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Which is really fascinating because Jesus came as a man, yet he embodied masculine and feminine traits because he is God. So when he cares for the, the disenfranchised and works with the children, and when he calms the sea and he casts out the demons, you can see the accents of those traits inside of this one person. And so what I want to tell you is that there is a design and there is a focus and there is a purpose to your life.
And what I want to do is give you some theology and some encouragement about how that can be organized for you. Because we always lean into the way that God wants for us to be. So let me just give you devotionally, which is not in any of your material. I want you to think about this. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says, Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, except that which is for edification, that it might be useful to those who hear you. Do you know that your very words impact the biology of another person? Our words are designed to impact people biologically. And they've done research so that if you are a person who has been yelled at for a long time, or you're just in a situation where somebody is being demeaning to you, and we were to check the molecular... um, movement of your cells and how efficient and effective they are, your biological cells will be compromised in a negative way by just yelling at you. You've all probably experienced that. And if you get really good news, what happens to you? Man, you get tons of energy. Like, whoa, this is so really great. And somebody, you know, the very first time that you said to somebody, I love you, and they said, I love you back to it's like, oh, Twitter patient all over the place. Um, Our words carry deep meaning, but they also affect us on the cellular level. We're not going to spend a ton of time on that level um, for us. Um, in this class, but over time, I can actually move people to a greater life through encouragement, through listening, through care, through praying for them, or I can actually discourage them by berating and yelling and giving up their secrets and demeaning to them, which is really pretty fascinating. The very words that you say in the image of God, because we are like God. You know, God spoke words into existence, right? And the world into existence. Sometimes when I pray, I just say, God, sit on your throne and just speak the words. Don't even bother getting up. Just nod your head. Just think them if you want to. I mean, I have weird prayer life with him because I'm like, I go back to Genesis and say, would you just speak the words, I, I heal you? Would you just do that? Don't even bother. Just say them in between something else you're working on because he brings into existence by words. You are created in his image. You bring encouragement into existence by your words. You bring love into existence by your words. It's really pretty fascinating. Uh, We're going to have a seminar here called The Aging Brain. And I want to give a little plug because Dr. Uh, Jennings will actually talk with you about how this process works. Um, This is a little bit of a misnomer. It sounds like this is for old people. Uh, But we are all becoming older. And basically, Dr. Jennings, who is a Christian um, psychiatrist in the state of um, Tennessee, is a fantastic speaker. He is going to come and tell us what it means to be in a relationship with a God of love who speaks life into us, and then what are the design parameters that he has given us. In fact, he actually refers to the Bible as a design manual for your life so that you would actually know what to accent and what not to accent. And so this aging brain is a super great way, if you have any, any questions about how we are to live a life of love and what that, mat- what that means for us in our health, that's really, really cool. Also, because he's a psychiatrist, if you have little chillins around and you wonder how in the world you can help them to do better, especially if they have a diagnosis with something, free counseling right here. He will be with us the entire weekend, both Saturday and Sunday morning. He's going to do the uh, a seminar on the God-shaped heart on Sunday morning during the second and third worship services somewhere in the building. I think it might be in the adult uh, ministry center. We're not really sure just yet. Um, but he is an outstanding resource for us to be able to use. The second, you can see the color code. How, how many of you have been through the color code? Okay, This is a design on personalities, um, which is a starting point. So if you're interested in really kind of seeing how God has designed you um, in some areas we're not going to talk about in this class, Those are two amazing uh, experiences that you could actually have that could be extremely helpful for you. Um, I will be at the uh, Jennings one. I've done the color code. I'm 83% red, which is like not good. So we'll just see where all that goes. So let's get on with the the theological part because we're going to spend some time talking uh, in our groups as we go along tonight. So I've structured this with theology discussion, theology discussion, theology discussion, wrap it up, and then have you kind of pull together some of the big ideas. 
ideas. Yes, ma'am. Do we have to sign up? Um, yeah, sorry. This um, Aging Brain has a sign-up online, but it is free. You can just show up, but we'd really like to know just where we might want to house it. There is no child care associated with it. Um, there is a go to cco.church to register. Um, so if you have any trouble with that, please let me know. Uh, there should be a little link when you get there, and it's all free. So. Um, notice this. God has designed our faith to pour life into us. So here's what I want for you to think about. I grew up in a hostile the- theological environment where it was, if you don't please God, he's going to be angry with you. Uh, if you don't do it the right way, he's going to be mad at you. And still, there is a bit of perfectionism in me. Anybody else like that too? Where you might like go, uh, I'm such an idiot. I can say that about myself, but don't you say that about Don't Don't agree with me too much. Especially if my wife agrees with me. It's like, oh, that hurt, really hurt. Well, you said it first. Well, I know. But it's really, you know, just for me to beat myself up. Um, but I want you to remember that God has designed a life that he knows we're going to run out of energy. We're not as wise as what we really need to be. We're not as put together as what we think that we are. And in a moment's notice, our life can completely fall apart. We just live in that world. And he is there to keep pouring into us what we need for his glory. If you remember last week, we talked about how God is, is wanting to glorify him through our lives. And so the difficulty that we have allows for him to pour more into us. So it's not like, oh yeah, Lord, do more to me so that more is poured into me. But we know that that actually happens. And what I want for you to think about is, how is God pouring into you right now? And do you want want to like stop that and block that because some of us struggle with trust and some of us have difficulty in our background and what I want for you to see is he has nothing but good intentions for you in a world gone wrong and that world affects us and it affects our concept of him so I put this here which was really helpful to me John chapter uh, 14 verse 6 Jesus answered I'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me you've heard about this but this is Jesus saying I am the author of life I know how you are supposed to work And I remember trying to build up my life because I was confused as to what to do. Uh, I had various churches that I would go to that would say, do this, do this, do this, and you're going to be okay. And I would have my own family that would have its own accent. And, and I would have friends that would want me to think and believe and do certain kinds of things. And then I had people who were really, really growing and people who were stalled out. And I just decided I needed to stop. And I need to go back to the source, Christ, and I need to study what he said. So I would open up the Gospels, and I would read through the Gospels, and I would actually um, stop and put my finger on a verse, and I would say, Lord, that's what I want, and I'm not sure how you're going to get it for me. And in my 20s, I just had to reorient myself because there were lots and lots of voices that were out there. And what Jesus is saying is, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And so I want to say that to you. If you are confused at all, um, even if you hear something here and you're not sure how it works, go back to the scripture and say, Lord, I need to listen to you. I need to start here because you are the author of life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And you're going to provide the avenue for me to have that life. John chapter 15, verse 15, then became one of my most significant verses. And I I just have a little bit of self-revelation here. Um, The idea of God as Father was pretty spoiled for me because of the relationship that I had with my dad growing up. And I I had a lot of difficulty really embracing God as Father because one of the challenges that I had was adults would say they would do something and then they didn't follow through on that. Or I got hurt in those relationships. And so I knew that if I kept um, trying to have God as my Father, I could maybe get there someday. But it was really a struggle for me. And probably in my early 30s, I got so frustrated with that because emotionally there was just something inside of me when people would say, well, God is your father. And I would just look at them in my own mind and go, well, yeah, so what? So what? And I thought, well, that's not really very healthy. So if you're like me and you you struggle with some of that or you just kind of wonder, I think Jesus was really pretty brilliant. Remember, he's going to show you the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 15, verse 15, he said, I call you friends. I call you friends. I think this is why he said that. This is just me kind of jumping on that. We all know what a good friend is, don't we? A good friend is not only in it in the relationship for himself or herself, but also for me. A good friend has a reciprocal relationship, right? 
Oftentimes when we think of God as Father and me a little down here, we don't see it as reciprocal. We often see it as I keep you happy or you might say something and then I don't understand it. But friends are kind of like two otters that are playing in the water and they roll around and they have fun and they laugh and they play and they enjoy each other. And so I have a picture of a smiling Jesus up there. Just, just a regular kind of Jesus guy with a great big smile on his face. This revolutionized my concept of God. And I got to God as Father through Jesus as friend. Through understanding what that reciprocal relationship was like. What, what did he want from me? And what did I want from him? And how does that actually work? Throughout my early 30s, I worked on some of that. And tonight's lesson is about some of those things that I have discovered that I want to just hand to you that were really meaningful to me, that really helped me from the standpoint of understanding what does it mean to be a friend with Jesus. And we even sing a song, I am a friend of God. If you've been around the church very long at all, that kind of went through about 10 years ago. You know, I'm a friend of God. Off of this... I mean, it's really pretty remarkable to think that the God of the universe um, would actually have this reciprocal relationship with us. But the accompanied life and this idea of Jesus as our friend brings that reciprocity. Now, here's what I also want to say is that familiarity breeds contempt. So you don't want to think of Jesus as a friend as though he's an equal that you can just kind of ignore and, you know, just take advantage of. This is a relationship that really has a uniqueness and a specialness about it. It is more unique and special than your closest relationship that you have here. And so it it requires attention and time. And so I thought this was a really great thing, which really helped to revolutionize me. And then the design of truth and grace. In uh, John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And so you can see that we have to have this combination of grace and truth. So I want to hand this to you because we often think of masculinity as as being truthful and femininity as being graceful, if we're going to separate them that way. And we often see stereotypes like that. Or we see strength and weakness, or we see counseling and, and kind of a swift kick in the seat of the pants. And what Jesus did was that he knew how to bring those together so that he could be a living embodiment of the love of God for the people around them. That is the purpose of the design, that you are a living embodiment of the love of God for the people who are around you. And sometimes people need a little more truth, and sometimes they need a little bit more grace. And when somebody is extremely broken, you can't even speak to them because it ruins the moment. And you just go and you just sit and listen to them. And they say, thank you so much. That's exactly what I needed. Because presence trumps words. Your presence, the accompanied life, God in us, trumps words. Because he can communicate without speaking. Isn't that interesting? So maybe some of you need to ask him, communicate in a way that I can understand in my heart language without you speaking to me. That I would feel close and I would know that I would have assurance because he knows your heart language. He knows exactly how to connect with you so you have a sense that he is with you and he will do it without words. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever been in a situation where words cheapen the moment? I have. It just kind of like robs the moment. And God is well aware of that and he knows that presence trumps words. And so when we put this idea together, uh, we talk about calibrating grace and truth, blending grace and truth, um, putting grace and truth together so it's packaged really well. One of the things that I want for you to look at is, as I have thought about this, one of, the, one of the ways that I would like to live my life is I would like to be able to talk to people about what we know is true. But I want to do that in such a way that they can know that I am not against them. And then I want people to know that I really do care about them. And I care about them so much that I don't want them to be foolish. And I want them to have the truth about what we know about research and living and life and scripture so that they can put it together and see that it actually works for them. And so this idea of grace and truth became really, really important for me. So, here are three things, and we're going to have a conversation in just a little bit. Three priority designs that come out of these ideas that Jesus is the way, he is our friend, and we're going to calibrate grace and truth. So, the first one is love God and love people. You're familiar with this. We're going to talk about it. Go and make disciples and live the ministry of reconciliation. So, 
Here is the first one. Love God and love people. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is really fascinating. The, The idea of loving God and loving people fulfills the law and the prophets. So I just have this question for you. Loving God and loving people is the command. We are given parameters like the one and other passages and the generalizations of how to treat people. And I wrote some things in Ephesians. Like, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Um, Make sure that people live in peace with you. We have some of those um, generalizations, those specific actions. And then I said, however, we have to nuance and personalize our love. So my question for you is, why does God want us to nuance and personalize our loving expressions of Him? Um or to him and others. Why does he want you to step in the gap and actually demonstrate the love without him giving you everything you need to do? That's the question. I'd like for you to talk about that. What is so important about your design that he didn't write 2,000 years ago exactly what you needed to do in every situation. So, just want you to talk about that, and I'll give you a few minutes. It's 7.18. I'll give you about seven minutes or so. Go. And I'd like to have your attention back and get some of your ideas just randomly. We can go table to table, but just a couple of the ideas. I've been listening to some of them and asking you about it. I want to take this question somewhere a little deeper. So why, uh, why, would, um, why, why would God want for us to nuance and personalize? Just what are some of the things you're all talking about? What is the benefit of that? Well, we discussed how if it's personalized, then it's each one of us are different. Expression of love would be different. So we could meet people's needs specifically. Right. What else? I think the world is hungry for the real, and if, it, if, if they don't perceive that it's real with us, then they're not going to be attracted okay. to Jesus. The world is hungry for the real, and if it's not real with us, okay. then they won't be attracted to Jesus. Hmm. How hard is it to love somebody well? Sometimes it's very difficult because they test you, right? And see whether or not you're telling the truth. And if you really are this person. And do you ever get tired of being tested? Do you ever get tired of being mistreated because somebody doesn't like something or somebody misunderstands something about you and you're told to go the extra mile and turn the other cheek and forgive again and again and again and somebody actually puts you through the mill to see if you really believe it? you ever been in one of those? It gets a little bit tiring sometimes. But we are called to love one another the way that God has loved us. And part of that is to see if it's really real or if you're just a churchy person spouting off a whole bunch of really nice stuff that really doesn't work. Here's my question based off of that, which you might have all talked about. Why would anyone follow Jesus if we don't even believe it ourselves and don't live it? Why? I mean, if we don't love, if we don't go the extra mile, we, we don't figure out how this might work for somebody, then why would anybody want to do this? Because going to church and giving up your money and, you know, and interacting with people gives up a lot of my freedoms. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to have this kind of relationship with God? And is it real? What else, what else did you talk about? But why, why is it so important to be nuanced? Well, it creates a broader spectrum of love. Mm-hmm. I love the way I love. She loves the way she loves. Yep. She loves the way. And if all of us love this person that way, then it's a big old yeah. spectrum. Yeah. A broader perspective of love. So let me ask you this. If you know that somebody loves to cook, and they cook for you when you need a meal, do you think that they love you? Yes, and if they're horrible at counseling and they bring you a meal and they don't counsel you, that's a benefit because they didn't give you any really bad advice. But they loved you, right? They loved you. And there might be somebody else that's a terrible cook and you would never eat anything because it's shoe leather and nastiness. But they are really good at helping you figure things out, but you don't want a meal from them necessarily. 
But if enough of us love up on somebody, um, we all have our own accents. Somebody can actually feel loved for real if we all love in ways that seem to make sense or we're convicted to, which is really important because of where this is going in a reciprocal relationship with God. What else? There's a couple other things I'm really thinking about. Has anyone ever saved a life by loving somebody? Has anyone ever taken away discouragement and isolation by simply having a relationship with somebody? What's really fascinating is that people can sniff out whether you're playing with them or not. They can sniff out whether or not you're being genuine. And genuineness hands life to another person. It hands meaning. It hands purpose. It hands security to another individual. One of the reasons that God didn't write when somebody feels this way, act that way, and I was listening to this group over here, is that people are nuanced in their own expressions. And how big would that book have to be to get everybody in the world? And how, how do you know you'd pick the right personality? And what God said is, I just want you to learn what it is like to be like me and sniff out some of these really important things like um, hospitality and value and listening to somebody and then nuancing it from there what people actually need. Because we love with time, we love with resources, we love with energy, and people know when we love them and when we're just shushing them away to something else. Isn't that interesting? You, you could probably tell what that's like. And we could probably sniff it out if we watch. There's something genuine about this. So what God is simply saying is this. If you know it, you might not be able to explain it. Do you really know it? As a Bible college professor for a number of years, my students would say, I really know this. And I'd look at them and i say, well, then why can't you write it down in an answer? You're familiar with concepts, but you don't know it until you own it. And when you own it, you say it in your own words. You get all the big things in there, and unless it actually has to be a memorized process, um, you can actually nuance it a little bit. What God is simply saying is this. If you want to know how to love, if you want to be a lover, if you want to be like me, you have to own loving. You have to own it. It has to be you. It has to come out of you. It has to be in your eyes. It has to be in your mouth. It has to be in your tone. It has to be in your body posture. It has to just ooze out of you. And when it oozes out of you, the way that it oozes out of Christ onto the world, you become a magnet. But it has to be owned by you or it's not genuine. It's not genuine. I think the reason that he nuanced it is so that you would really know what it is. And when you gave it, people would have an opportunity to receive something genuine and then say, I think I want more of that. Just a thought about it. So how well are you doing loving your own way? How are you doing loving connecting with people? Are you, are you putting those together? This is a really ch- big challenge for me because I'm a task-oriented person. Any other task-oriented people in here? You get in the way of my task, bulldoze, bulldoze. You cry, you deserve to cry, you got in the way of the blade. I mean, that's just, I look at that. Now, my, my wife is not so much that way. She's like really sensitive to everybody's needs. And I'm like, why are you so sensitive to everybody's needs? Well, remember, the whole heart of God is all of that together. And so my question for you, just as we look at this, um, as a major design, this is the first commandment, the most important commandment. And I just want to say it to you this way. Do you own love? Do you own it for yourself? Are you willing to give it away for free? Because when you give it away for free, it multiplies. Are you willing to be a magnet? Are you willing to be that person that people just want to be around? Because you are not um, angry and frustrated. You are open and you are safe. Do you want to be that person? You will have an incredibly meaningful life if you can love the way that Christ did this first commandment. Love God, and he will rub off on you. Love others. The second one, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. Uh, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's what I want for you to talk about. How does living the accompanied life help us to embody the Great Commission? What we're looking at is 
taking our faith and being obvious but not obnoxious. Obvious but not obnoxious. Being real, not being plastic and phony. Having a sense of genuineness and willingness to say, I follow Jesus, but not at the end of a club against another person. Go and make disciples. Go with this magnetism of knowing how to love and open up your relationship with Jesus so that other people can just see it. Now, what will happen is, is that when you are squished and you are put under pressure, think, I want you to think of a grape and an anvil. A grape and an anvil. How likely is it that the grape will maintain its integrity underneath an anvil? It's not. It's going to just splatter on out. And what is it going to splatter out? Whatever is inside. So I think that sometimes God lets us have stress so we will splatter out. Because we will be held together. And when we splatter out loving God and loving people, others notice. When we splatter out ourselves, it's really not very pretty. Now, I don't pray that God will splatter me. (laughs) That's just really messy. But, have you had a stressful time the last couple of weeks or month? How about today? How about today? What came out of you? Jesus or you? Jesus or you? That's the question. The Great Commission in going is about having some level of stress that people will see so that they recognize you really truly are this person. And we are always being redeemed. And I don't want to, you know, poke at you. You can put me under enough pressure and I promise you I'll show up. I will show up. But God in his divine enabling wants for us as we have that pressure and we begin to demonstrate what's on the inside of us in the going and the making of disciples, people know that we're genuine when we're angry. Ouch. When we are inconvenienced while driving down the road. (laughs) When I have to wait too long and then my order is not correct. When somebody says they're going to show up at my house and do work, and then they don't communicate for two weeks. What is on the inside comes out. And what's supposed to be on the inside? Love God. Love people. Go and make disciples. Because you love God and you love people. And the living out of life, you become a magnet by the way that you treat others is really pretty fascinating. And then they're willing to learn some things. Well, how can you be that way? Or that church that you go to, do they actually teach you how to do this? What do you mean that I can read the Bible and understand it for myself? They will start to ask you questions because you're weird. Because something splats out of you that isn't you. And they're like, how can you be so patient? How can you be so kind? I just look at people and go, I can't. I'm just having a great day of Jesus. I just can't. I'm not this good all the time, but today he is holding me together well because I started my day and I'm asking him to. And I think that things are going all right. So here's my question. What are the ways that God has provided you to go into your world, share your faith, and make disciples? Go into your world, share your faith, and make disciples. So I don't know that sharing your faith and making disciples necessarily needs to be the same thing, but what are the stresses and strains and the ways that you are living your life that you have opportunities to demonstrate what's on the inside of you? That's really what I'm asking. What, what are some of those things over the last week or so? I just want you to share those. And, and, and I want you to brag a little bit on maybe something you think you did well. If you feel like you did something really poorly, then you can just say, skip, 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 skip. I'm thinking about this. Not really sure. It's kind of a rough week. But I, I want you to celebrate. And here's why. If you can see yourself doing it, you can do it better. If you can't see yourself doing it, it's really hard to get there. So we're going to celebrate successes right now. When you're under pressure, when you're in an opportunity to let the love of God out of you, the love of people out of you, how did you do that? And I want you to celebrate that for just a moment. So spend, spend a little bit of time with that. And we'll pull back together here in just a little bit. If you would uh, turn to Second Corinthians chapter five, or look on the uh, the monitor, Second Corinthians chapter five, fourteen through twenty. 
this particular uh, set of verses changed our church. Uh, the elders were really looking for what is our role as elders. As we grew, we became, um, many of the ministries that we would normally do, staff would do, volunteers would do. And we had to continue to figure out what really belonged to us. What did we need to pay attention to and make sure that we did and never gave away to somebody else? So this was when Lynn Ragsdale was here, probably 10 years ago. We were talking about this, studying this, asking ourselves, what is the purpose of elders beyond a business meeting um, as the church has continued to grow? Um, And we landed on the Ministry of Reconciliation as our primary ministry. And I want to hand that off to you because what Paul says is that this is our ministry. If you're asking yourself... What, what should I do? I'm not a minister, as we talk about that. I work for this company, or I'm retired and I do these kinds of things, or I don't really have an opportunity to do a lot of spiritual things at work. What I want you to know is that you are a minister of reconciliation as your first ministry role. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This will change your life. Because you're always looking for opportunities to connect people with God, to connect people with each other, and to keep people connected with you. Which means that you're going to absorb an awful lot, and you're going to hand back something good. You're going to absorb people being angry, and you're going to hand back to them friendship. This is what Jesus did when he was on the cross, is he took all of our sin and our shame. And if you want to think of Jesus on the cross, he would have one hand out, and he would say, don't you want to be friends? John 15, 15. Don't you want a relationship with me? Don't you want to have something better? And you are a living embodiment of this. So when you're mistreated and you treat somebody with respect and kindness or you apologize when you lost um, your temper or you try to make something right, people pay attention and they think there's something going on here. And enough of those encounters with enough Christians will cause people to begin to wonder, is this really real? So the ministry of reconciliation is our foundational ministry. It is the ministry we all have before we do anything else. Here's what Paul wrote. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Although we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That last verse is absolutely astounding. Jesus became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. And then what he wants to do is plant you all around our community so when people bump into you, guess what they bump into? They bump into the image of God inside of you. When you get squished and you squish on out, what comes out of you? Does reconciliation come out? Does forgiveness come out? Does going the extra mile come out? Or does bitterness and anger, and I'm not taking this anymore from you, come out? What comes out of you? We are put in the world to be bumped up against so that when we're not paying attention, the real us shows up. And the real us is a redeemed us in Christ. And when we blow it, the way we get back to the real us is we apologize. We apologize. People understand an apology. Sometimes the offense is really great and they don't, they don't want to be with us as much anymore, but people understand an apology. Sometimes they accept it and sometimes they don't. We get that. But imagine if we lived such a world in, in such a life that Christ came out of us way more than we did. And the ministry of reconciliation is where that is all encapsulated, where you actually become the righteousness of God living in the world so that he is on display. And here's why it is to his glory, because you can't do this. 
You can't take that much pressure and let Jesus leak out. You cannot love on that level unless you are being poured into by somebody who loves you. You can't be that good of a friend unless somebody who is a better friend than you has taught you how to be a good friend. You cannot do it in a broken world where there are all of these voices all the way around you that are clamoring for attention and they're not the voice of Jesus. And so he's now given you this amazing ministry that he says, I promise you, Peter, people will bump up to you. They will come and speak to you when you're in the middle of writing a sentence on your computer and it will annoy the fleshly side of you because you're a man and you might forget what you're writing. Or you get home from work and you're really, really tired and all you want to do is have some peace and quiet. And the minute the door opens, Vanna is talking to you. And you can't even hear half of what she says until you get in. And then you feel like an idiot because you didn't hear it all because you weren't quite there. You need my divine enabling to even walk through the front door of your house in righteousness because you get impatient. Of course, none of you have that problem. I know that. None of you. None of you. I actually was accused of being a patient driver by a college student. He said, you're so patient, I wouldn't drive like that. And I'm like, this is a highly cultivated way of driving. Stop talking about it. It's making me mad. People are going to be bumping into you all the time. And here's what I want you to know. They will notice what you do more than what you say. They will notice how you feel to them. What are you giving off to them? Versus who you say you want to be. Okay, so the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what I want for you to talk about. In what circumstances is it important for me to remember that my first response to others is to be a reconciler? Now, I don't want you to go into how horrible you act in certain ways unless you don't mind saying when I walk through the front door, I need to be a reconciler because I tend to be more impatient. Um, And then what are specific ways that I can respond that promote reconciliation? I just want you to think about this. You're all really good at this, and there are times you're all really bad at this. There are times that you really excel, and there are times that you just really struggle with it. I get it. I get it. I do too. So what I want you to look at here is why is it so important for me to remember? And I will start with this. Because when I go on autopilot... Until I am redeemed, that better, that my autopilot is a reconciler, Peter Buckland shows up. And I want what I want when I want it. That's what autopilot does for me. And I'm working very hard that when my autopilot goes on and I'm not thinking, I have walked with Jesus long enough that I can catch the negative side of that and do the kindness and the listening and then excuse myself if I can't. So that I can kind of pray and collect myself. So what I, what I need to do is remember that I'm not in it for myself, in my own pleasure, my own, my own desires. I'm, I'm in this representing a living God that my family needs to see, my wife needs to see, the church needs to see, everybody needs to see. And they will see it better and worse. Um, hopefully better as I get better at this. And then in what specific ways can I promote reconciliation? So for me, a good way to promote reconciliation is to listen and then ask people, do you need me to help you in some way? That's really effective for me. I'm really good at that because I'm a problem solver and I want to take over your life and tell you what to do. (laughs) Because I'm a guy and I know stuff. Okay, so what's really good for me is to just be quiet and listen and then to ask you, would you do you need some help in some way? Nine out of ten times, guess what the answer is? No, I don't need help. But I'm so glad you listened to me and care enough to ask. But I don't really need any help. It's the way I show love. I've learned that. That's, I'm looking for you to think through that. Now, that, that's the structure and the design of my life. That's what I want the default to be in my life as I've worked on this. Because I can't be everything to everybody and I can't be perfect, but I can at least be those things. I can at least listen and ask if you need some help. And I can at least recognize that when I go on autopilot, I need to get off autopilot and go on Jesus pilot. So, just love for you guys to talk a little bit about that. It's 7.51, and we're going to land the plane here uh, and pick up next week on some things that we won't get to this evening. So, take about five minutes or so and talk about this, and then we'll just land the plane about uh, the exercises for the week, and then we'll pick up next week with a couple other things. Thank you.
If I can grab your attention, we'll go ahead and end the class. The, uh, the rest of the handout is dependent on a big illustration that we will not get to tonight. But your handout with your prayers, uh, with your scripture and prayers, fit into um, some of what we're talking about. We are going to open up and talk about um, the role of meditation, compassion, and the fruit of the Spirit through some um, illustrations and a little bit of brain research, which we didn't get to tonight. So some of what you'll be reading... Um, have to do with accelerating in uh, meditating on God's Word, which is filling your mind with the truth and letting it soak into you, Um, acting in compassionate, empathetic ways, which actually activates a ton of very positive things inside of you and keeps you healthy, and then what the fruit of the Spirit does um, as we emphasize those nine traits or traits that are similar to that. But what I'd like to, and you can work on that um, over the week, and we'll move on to some other things, but I want to start with that illustration next week. Uh, What I want to do with you tonight is to ask you this and to have you leave here with a decision on either reaffirming that you are going in the right direction in some of these areas and you really want to focus on a particular action because of what your upcoming week is going to be like or you're looking at this thinking, oh wow, I really want to give some thought as to the design of my life. If God is redesigning you in some fashion, how do these spiritual truths come to play? So here is a reminder that I really want for you to think about. Jesus intends to pour his life into you until the day you get your graduation papers and go to glory. Until that day. He will pour life into you in a coma. He will pour life to you when you cannot be reached by anybody else. He will pour life into you in the most dire circumstances in your life. And he will pour life into you in the mundane, humble comings and goings of your life. You are never away from him in an accompanied life. And he wants to pour life into you. So if you feel stalled, if you are unsure about where you are, my prayer for you is to ask God to pour life into you this week. He knows, he knows what that is. You might not know what it is, but you know what it is. If you're worn out and you're weary and you need spiritual energy, ask him to pour life into you. In, second, in uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 10, says, The Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is, is in your mortal bodies, he will give you life. Is Romans what? Romans chapter 8, verse 10. If the spirit of him, let's see, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, mm-hmm. he will give life to your mortal bodies. Ask for life. He wants to pour it in. He is not presumptuous. He will not always do it unless you ask him. Because out of need, he will give you what you need. So if your daily bread is you're running out of energy and you're running out of love, you're running out of energy and you're running out of interaction in the Great Commission to, to, to show who you are in the world around you or even in your own family. And if you're running out of energy uh, with the Ministry of Reconciliation and all you want to do is tell people to get away from you because they're totally annoying you, you need divine enabling. You need life. You need the friendship of Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to pour into you what you need at that time. And here's what I promise you. He will pour into you for what you need at that time and then it will be gone. Because it's nutrition. It's nutrition. And guess what you have to do when you run out of calories and your body is hungry? You have to eat again. The accompanied life is about a reciprocal relationship that has a design to it that allows for you to access life whenever you need it. And here's what I want you to know as we close. The more you need it, And the more you think you don't have it, the more amazing the result can be. Because he can give it to you without you even recognizing you have it. I don't know if you've noticed that very much, but if you're feeling particularly grouchy, 
and you say, Lord, I really need your help today because I am just really, really grumpy, and you get through your day and you had fewer grouch attacks um, than you otherwise would have, but you don't feel particularly close to Jesus because you're so grouchy, what he's done is he has come around you and in the middle of whatever it is that's happening to you, he is pouring life in and around you and splashing it on people around you because you can't do it. He is at his best when you are at your weakest. So amazing. So ask him to pour life into you that you might love well, you might be able to engage within the world around you well, and that you might be able to be a reconciler, somebody who is able to make a difference for somebody else that you may never know in this world. And I promise you, you will have an amazing experience. But you have to walk asking him to help you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much that you put us in positions where we need you, where we have our own frailties and our own limitations and you give us what we need. We just really don't get how that works. But we are here to give testimony that you do that. And so as a group of your disciples, as a family, we simply ask that you will help make us aware of these design truths and where you want to take us um, in our own interactions with you and with others so that people could see that we genuinely believe in you and you take us beyond ourselves. Where we end, you do something amazing. So we ask for your mercy as you lead us this week and give us the ability and, the, and help us to remember to ask you for our daily bread. That in every circumstance, we can invite you into our lives and see what the result will be. Help us to come back next week with some amazing testimonies of how you have lived through us and how you have poured life into us in this upcoming week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.